To be fair, Indy's deathbed is likely to come sooner than anyone else. <laughs> oh, don't say things like I, that. Based on her bringing this up all the time. <laughs> there was a poll that was run by Plenty of Fish, and 23% of the 2,000 people surveyed said their accountants are the best kissers. I'm pretty sure. Ten pound a kiss for me. <laughs> wow. Oh, well. I will get one free. This is a, a bad accounting pricing again. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely undervalued. <laughs> yeah, we are. We had a good little play out through the fountains. I had to call John back and say, John, come on, you know, stop giving the yummy mummy something to talk about. Come on. <laughs> Sit back down and have your lunch. <laughs> I've just been told that these 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 gentlemen are definitely gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Very polite. They have you. personality. <laughs> I'll take that. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digitals in a Cruel World podcast. This is Ryan Pearce, your host, and I'm joined with my co-host, John Toon. John, how are you today? Hi, Ryan. Afternoon. Really good. I'm in a very balmy London for, for this special occasion, this special pod. So, yeah, good. Feeling um, hot? <laughs> always feeling hot. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling very warm and a nice enclosed podcast studio is a perfect place to be on a hot steamy day we're definitely gonna be heating up during this and we're also joined by our wonderful producer indy indy are you as hot as john no no way <laughs> i am fine but that's because down here we're quite used to the sun and that's the heat true. so it's probably a little maybe like five degrees higher for you do you think more like 15 mm. and it's not raining for a start so it makes oh, a difference i know that does make me upset as well but we had a good little play out through the fountains i had to call john back and say john come on you know stop giving the yummy mummy something to talk about come on. <laughs> sit back down and have your lunch and let's, <laughs> let's talk about this interview we're about to have my trainers are still wet <laughs> but as well as that we also have an amazing guest today we have steve vamos from zero steve are you buzzing like us i'm so glad to be here it's a beautiful day in london and I'm really looking forward to the conversation, so thanks for having me. Thanks for coming along. So let's crack on with the chat. One of the reasons that we wanted to get you on was that we know that Zero dominate the Australian market at the moment. Not doing too shabbily here in the UK and, and obviously trying to break into the US. One of the key things is obviously when you came in as CEO and replaced Rod, Zero wasn't the same beast that it was 10 or 12 years ago. Very small, agile business grown from nothing. And you've come in now and it's very much an enterprise product and a type company. So what do you see as a future for Zero and what are the sort of key challenges that you've faced over the last few years? Great question to start. It's a big question. When you call Zero Enterprise, that's an interesting connotation. I, the way I look at Zero is still very much maybe teenager developing. Oh, absolutely. It's got a long way to go. If you look at the penetration of cloud software in small business, which, by the way, is the last frontier of tech adoption. You know, small business has been underserved and it's too important not to be the beneficiary of great technology, great software. So when you look around the world, you've got eight out of 10 small businesses don't get the benefit of cloud software. To the extent possible, there aren't many who do today. There's plenty of opportunity to do more. So we're certainly larger in the context of where we were back when Rod started the business and when I took over as CEO, but there's a hell of a long way to go here. And really looking at the power of a small business accounting platform to go beyond that to be a small business business platform, to go beyond that, to be the source because the customer's information is in the platform with their agreement, the source of really wonderful insights that are predictive, proactive, 
And that's why our future is, is really couched in the vision of being the most trusted and insightful small business platform. And there's a great opportunity there for us to be that real focus of wiring all that up and making life better for small business customers, which is what we're here to do. Can I just touch on a bit? You said that you feel zero is kind of the teenager in its development. And as a teenager, you tend to go through a lot of changes, a lot of problems and a lot of <laughs> adjustments as you grow. Zero, as most businesses have gone through that or well, pandemic, you must have faced a lot of these challenges and had to change and adapt. You've got any key things, I guess, that have happened over your tenure that you could touch on? If you just said to me that in doing the role that I do, that I'd spend two years doing it from a desk and a screen in Wellington, New Zealand, I would have said that's impossible. So the pandemic has certainly been something that none of us expected, none of us could fully prepare for. Fortunately, if you look at what is at the heart of what we are good at doing, is we're an organisation that does change, has changed, continues to change, and I think that's the key. Dealing with that is a real asset, and I think we've shown that we could respond. Look at the environment, particularly in Europe at the moment, and uh, more broadly with the global economy. I think we've got to continue to be quick on our feet, face reality and respond, and look after our people, because in the face of change, people have a default reaction, which is what? What do you reckon? What happens when you... <laughs> Resist. Resistance. Yeah. Well, that's because you fear it. Yeah. Fear is the human. And it's a good thing, right? I mean... I'm certainly here because there was a sufficient amount of fear in me to stop me doing some pretty crazy stuff. So fear is not all bad, but fear that gets in the way of organisational evolution and change, that's bad. So really making sure you have a culture that encourages people to even come to work to be their true self, speak up, speak honestly, that's what we aspire to create and we work at it, not perfect, but... Change and being able to change is what has got us through the last few years. And by the way, many, many things like fantastic customers, partners who love our product. It's interesting that you said you hadn't listened to the podcast before, but definitely Ryan and I have referred to Zero as that teenager app at the moment. And I wonder, is one of the key things that you've had to learn is that you've had to make a few mistakes along the way and learn from those? Because I think Zero and a lot of accountants and partners' eyes has moved from being that dynamic reliable entity that was always there supporting them you've got much more competition in the market but also have probably made a few mistakes along the way that communication maybe has broken down a little bit yeah it's a really hard one to quantify in a fixed way i definitely think that we are really excited and pleased to be connecting back with our partners the zero relationship with accounts and bookkeepers is as special as the whole notion of being born in the cloud in my mind i mean that innovation of realising small business adoption of software is going to be very slow if you don't have advisors who care on that journey with them. I think that was one of the early innovations, the early insights that really made Zero special. And even today, none of our global scale competitors were born in the cloud and none of our global scale competitors have as authentic a track record in engaging with accounts and bookkeepers that we have. You can't innovate, you can't change without making mistakes. We've had a little bit of a bad run at the end of last year with a few things. The reliability of the product and the platform is really, really important. We always hate it whenever there's an interruption to service. That's probably the thing that our customers 
are most irritable about, if they are irritable about things. So, I think that's a good sign in some ways. Yeah. It means they rely on you. Absolutely. And we feel that. I mean, it's hair on fire stuff when the site's down, right? Less. Fortunately, we've had a much better run of late. You mentioned your global scale competitors, which I assume you're talking about the QuickBooks Online, etc. To Who do you benchmark yourself against now? Is it those ones that we would generally refer to, which is Sage, QuickBooks, the like, or do you benchmark yourself against an Amazon? First of all, let me put competition in context. It's in a market that is as underpenetrated as cloud accounting and cloud software. Competition can be good because the big challenge here is encouraging people to change. And the more people talking about that and encouraging them, the better. The second is, no matter how competitive the tech industry tends to get, at the end of the day, whoever shows up with a good proposition that cares about the customer generally wins. It's your game that's going to decide your fate. Competition is a really important reference point. Let's remember our competitors have been chasing us, not the other way around. We do watch what they do and we do respect them because they're big companies that are desktop companies for the most part who have demonstrated a willingness and ability to change and they had to. That doesn't mean they all do. If you look at the history of the tech industry, I can give you examples of companies that were in a very similar position that are no longer, many of them. So I really respect companies that are able to let go of their past and commit to a new future. I'm not the kind of obsessive CEO that sits there thumping the table saying, you know, look at them, look at them. I'm very obsessive about look at us, look at what we need to do better because I can act on that. How is the line then? Because some of the things that you were just saying is about the data being stitched together and then you were referencing other competitors that are from that desktop world. But more recently, Xero has seen it seemingly from the outside evolving into something that encompasses a number of different data points and not just accounting software being the dominant not just the part, ledger. not just the ledger. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that we wanted to know is like, you know, going forward, how do you see that continuing to evolve? So, first of all, in terms of where we're heading and why, the beauty of accounting and the system of record in the cloud is that it has a natural connection to everything a small business does. So that's why you integrate payments into invoicing, get paid faster. That's why you extended offering payroll because paying your people who are often the greatest investment you make accurately and in a really integrated way with your accounting and your system of record is obviously natural. The other great innovation Zero pioneered was open APIs, bank mm -hmm. feeds, knocking on the door with the banks and mm -hmm. convincing them they should connect to an accounting platform. You've got that amazing ecosystem. I'd say that's probably the biggest selling point as well as the bank feeds. But you have been making some acquisitions into other spaces. You kind of move into that ecosystem that you've been pioneering for so long. But I guess we've yet to see some of those acquisitions come to fruition. And if you compare it to some of your global scale competitors, they make a huge acquisition out there and it seems to be a wow factor. Zero has always been more understated in the purchases. Is this part of a longer term strategy? It's a great point to sort of steer me to the next step of the previous piece, which is you've got the system of record, all the connections. So then why do you go further? And so if you look at the acquisitions we have, they're all long-term strategic. If it's not consistent with our strategy and right for the long term, we wouldn't do it. So if you look at Waddle, which was an acquisition, Waddle's an opportunity to create invoice lending as a category for small business. It doesn't really exist today. Not surprising. 
very hard for a lender to get access to the data that would enable them to provide that type of finance. Is that because Zero and other products don't allow other vendors to access that data or is that just because they choose not to? Look, we do have partnerships, over 200, with financial services providers. I think it's a little bit different, John, in the sense that it is a new category, right? If, so, if a partner came to us and said, we want to do invoice lending for small business and we're really serious about it, obviously we'd have a good talk to them about but there's been products in the UK that have been doing it for six, seven years plus. Apparently there's some, some business called Arex. <laughs> <laughs> so, Arex. so it's not new for us. It might be new for Australia, it might be new for the US, but it's certainly not new for us, I would suggest. And Waddle's obviously an Australian acquisition, isn't it? Well, that's good. In other places around the world, certainly in our view of the Australian market, you know, that was an opportunity that we wanted to really see if we could exploit. But you go further, if you look at tax cycle, acquisition in Canada, very specifically about tax and compliance. Mm -hmm. It's in a sense about building the kind of ecosystem around payroll, compliance and accounting that we have in the UK, Australia and New Zealand. And in Canada, the banks are not connecting broadly to accounting platforms yet. So we're in the process of convincing many of them to do that. And that so was your first desktop acquisition as that well. That was our so first desktop. What challenges arise from that? Because well, I'm assuming you want to take that to the cloud. Is that correct? Or is that the wrong assumption? No, no. I think long term or longer term, that, that is the assumption. I think that tax and compliance is a challenging area. You need expertise. You need to know what you're doing. And we felt that in terms of the pathway, as we do with our acquisitions, we look at build, partner and buy. And in that case, we assist them all and really felt that shorter and longer term, there are real benefits of acquiring tax cycle. They have great relationships with accountants and bookkeepers in Canada that would accelerate those connections for zero. They have leading domain expertise, so whatever we build in the future, those capabilities, their IP is going to be really helpful. And they've got a product that people love with a good integration to zero, so it made a lot of sense. Hmm. You look at inventory and the aspirations we have to... Locate. Yeah, we locate inventory. You look at hmm. workforce management with planned aid. One of the big challenges when you look at the ecosystem is that they are generally attracted to small businesses that have more scale. I'm not saying mm. medium business. I mean, small business focus means you're still looking at the size of the small business customer in order to make your interaction commercially viable. With some of the acquisitions we've made, we've observed that those businesses are not going to the very, very low end, let's say the five employees yeah. to yeah. 10 employees. So to succeed in that segment, you're not going to be able to do it with a kind of one-to-one -one interaction mm -hmm. on scale. A lot of the acquisitions are aimed at really trying to bring that value to the really small, small business, you know, up to 10 employees, and that's a lot of small businesses. And How do you assess those needs then at the moment for those small businesses? Well, the biggest challenges a small business face is cash flow, getting paid. So you look at payments and you look at lending. You then say, what's the next thing? Well, paying for people. You look at the quality of what they have at their fingertips to manage their resources, their shift workers, and you go, okay, well, time scheduling attendance is good. Then you go to inventory, product. Once you've got those three areas, you've got a lot of what is most important to small business. That's what drives the thinking. Very selfish as well. You said it was the number one as a cash flow and lending products as well. We've worked with Zero for the last year and a half now. One of the things that we've observed is that that businesses practically just are suffocated of options available to them. And if they go down certain routes and they take a neobank approach, for example, or, um, that maybe they won't get access to those products as well. And that's when they make some poor decisions. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm quite curious about personally is where 
zero see their future in that space because in the past there's certain apps that have not been allowed to be part of the zero app marketplace and i wondered is that because you want to own more of that is that zero kind of looking and thinking the waddle acquisition makes sense because we should then own some more of that responsibility some applications require such a depth of integration to make it easy for the customer to use and scale that it really makes it tough then to do that in a partnership because you're essentially trying to partner in your core and the way your core business is evolving. There are a small number of areas where you then decide you acquire because you've got to look long term. A third party that might be a partner isn't really going to be up for that time and that investment. In that case, that might differentiate what we might do with our app partners, but it's a very, very small number. Where we might say no to certain partners, there's sensitivity certainly to people who want to aggregate data and then on-sell it or on-provide it. We aren't necessarily crazy about that idea. There's depth of integration is one criteria, very, very small number, very, very small number. And the other is, you know, the use of data, protecting our customers' data and making sure it's being used in the appropriate way. It's probably what you guys like to hear, right? Yeah, absolutely. We talked about acquisitions and you talked about that sort of the strategy, which is, you know, relatively basic, but it works. What about the strategy for partners like Ryan and I, because we made that acquisition in Canada, there are still issues, for example, with zero tax in terms of its scalability here in the UK. And what does your strategy look like for partners and providing more and more tools for us in the marketplace? I think some partners feel a little bit underserved at the moment by zero. I think that we've got a lot of work to do. We're pleased with the progress with zero tax. We've got more work to do there. I've been at a table where one partner says, I love it. I'm using it everywhere and telling my team they have to use it. And others who say, we don't think it's ready. So mm-hmm. one thing we do know, we're committed to it, want to continue to invest in it. The practice tools, practice management. We've also had some work going on there that's turned out to have taken longer and been more complex than we expected. But those are at the heart and we've got to get those right. We're very committed to continue to invest in those products and mm-hmm. serve accountants and bookkeepers the way they deserve to be served. Is the UK market a particularly challenging market to deliver in? You get the feeling that in Australia, you guys do all right because there isn't a huge amount of competition. US is a slightly different beast, obviously, but in the UK, you've got lots of incumbents in lots of areas that you're trying to challenge in your accounts production, tax, practice management, etc. And a very dynamic shift into the cloud by not just new products, but also some of the incumbents that have been around. Despite that, when I talk to partners in the UK, this is a great opportunity here for you. And even in some areas where we could potentially challenge in the future, there's a, a view that in the practice management space, we could go harder if we got our act together to the point of where we address some of the things that we're working on today. We've definitely got our eye on that. It's about us getting our game right, staying close to our customers and partners and serving them well. Australia and New Zealand had a very big domestic player who still are there. Mm-hmm. Desktop Origins, MYOB, I'll even mention them. Yeah. If you weren't, we were going to. <laughs> so it wasn't like what Zero did was done without competition. The timing was different because this was 15 years ago the journey started. When I'm in Canada, I'm literally talking to people about the digitization of the small business economy in a way where you would have spoken about it here in Australia and New Zealand five years ago. The thing we're doing here, it's a very ambitious thing. We're participating in the rewiring or the wiring up of the small business economy. So that means we've got to work with banks and financial services and get that data Hmm. into the platform and other data into the platform. It means we've got an app ecosystem. It means we have to collaborate closely with governments who are initiating digital digitization of tax, payroll and many other 
aspects of uh, the small business economy, and then you've got to build your products and serve the accounts and bookkeepers and do all that. There's not a startup anywhere that's going to suddenly overnight be able to do all that. Will there be plenty of really interesting startups that eat into elements of the ecosystem that might overlap with us? Sure, there, there are today. There will be in the future. But wiring it up the way that you need to as a platform, a genuine platform, is a big, big task and it's going to take many years. I, I always say that where we are today with the small business cloud is where we were with consumer internet in 2008. This has barely been a decade. When did our competitors press go on moving to the cloud? It wasn't more than 10 years ago. Before that, it was just zero. Doing what we were doing in Australia and New Zealand, came to the UK around that time. Well, Intuit had a cloud product about 15 or so years ago. Yeah. They just didn't push it hard in the UK, did well, they? The thing is that it didn't go anywhere. It's funny because one of our directors, Stephen Aldridge, was telling me that he had his eye on cloud accounting in the late 90s and early 2000s in Silicon Valley. There were attempts back then, and we all know that timing does have a big, yep. big effect. Jumping back to something you said earlier, which was you build or you acquire or you partner. From a building perspective, we've not seen loads from zero on big releases over the last 18 months. My understanding is you've been doing a lot of work in the back end, beefing up the system to allow you to do more. How is that going? Is that now approaching the end? Are we going to see some big things? I know we're not too far away from Zerocon now. Are we going to get some big announcements? You get some exciting stuff at Zerocon. When people say that to me, I go, well, how do you quantify that statement when you look at the surface area of zero and how much we touch and change all the time. It's a little bit like Windows version 1 to Windows version, whatever it is now, 12, 13, 14. You're actually constantly enhancing. It's not like you're radically changing the nature, but you're creating value around that. These operating systems didn't support video that long ago. They didn't support the internet. They have to evolve to keep pace with the way technology evolves. Does that mean that these kind of huge announcements that we got five, six years ago from Zero and from other product partners? But what was the it? Marketplace? Well, so, things, what's the standout announcement six years ago? Well, you know, bank, like you say, bank fees was, was quite unique in our marketplace. It wasn't new. That, that had been around in consumer consumer market for a long time. But things like find and recode, some of the other bits and pieces around HQ, zero tax was really interesting. Pay with wires. Yeah, you know, pay with wires. All of those things were fairly big bangs. But are you sort of saying that... The innovation is, because you're so broad now, the innovation is not going to be lots of big bangs. It's sort of smaller pieces of the puzzle that you're putting together. I think that the potential of what we do in all the areas that we talked about and what we're working on is significant. But I also think what we do with the customer data to create new applications in the future is also exciting. It's a big reason why a company like ours invests in service today and the service quality today. We've got 3.3 million subscribers now versus... 1.8 when we had the last Zerocon here. There's that demand. There's the great feedback we get from customers all the time about little things we can do to improve the product. So you've got to allocate to that. Then you've got new features and new products. And then you have also underlying all of that, all the investment you have to make to enable that future. Hmm. The challenge for us is how do you allocate to all those things? And at the same time, meet the needs of different customers in different regions. So it's a fascinating challenge. Analytics Plus is an example of something that we've done that's pretty special. I don't know if you've played around with that. But... You probably assume John and I have played around with most things. You know, I think that using using machine learning there and AI a bit give customers pointers to what they should be doing ahead of running into a problem is exactly what we want to be doing more of in the future. Talking about that specific product, that's something that was already in the ecosystem. Was it necessary for Zero to build that themselves in terms of bringing that to market when you've got other people in the market doing something similar? with the data? 
it just depends on the depth of integration between the data mm -hmm. and the core applications as to how you can make that seamless. You do cross a line between partnership and building when you start to really look at the extent to which something new is going to touch your core code. You're basically saying that accountants shouldn't always be looking at these new products that Zero are building out, which are already present in the ecosystem because they're maybe not always relevant to us. Would that, would that be a fair statement? Well, I, I don't know how it could be when we've got a thousand apps in the ecosystem and we're talking about two or three examples of what we're doing. So well, to my mind, been picky, so. in fact, <laughs> actually accounts and bookkeepers, one of the bit feedback feedback they give me is make it easier for us to pick the right third party application. So yeah, that's laziness though yeah. on their part. No, <laughs> not anything else. I mean, you, you make it easy. Oh, you've got a marketplace which I, tells you where to find the apps. So you've got a marketplace that tells you which the good ones are. They're all rated by the general public and accountants. And you can listen to this podcast as well. And then, uh, well, I mean, there you go. It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not hard. It's just laziness. I think that's a really good point. Is there more you want from us as accountants and as partners that could help you? Is there more that we could be doing? I do think that there is, and it's not so much about doing it for zero, it's about doing it for your small business customers or clients. Small business is undercoached. Kids who play sport or play a musical instrument get more coaching than a small business operator. I do think that it is a profession of the future. It's one that is more about being able to listen to someone and ask them good questions and then to use the data and the facts about the business performance to guide them. We talk about the shift to advisory and that has different connotations. So you're not on the bandwagon of compliance is dead? It absolutely isn't. But what I do believe is that there's a great opportunity. And look, there are plenty of accounts and bookkeepers. I mean, even what you guys are doing is part of that extension of doing what you do to help a client into educating and sharing good thoughts and ideas that hopefully a lot of people carry on with. But I do think that that would be the one thing is that we've got to get small businesses using more applications. Get across the applications that are there and encourage a small business client to adopt and help them. There actually is really good business opportunity in there to help them out. Well, it's huge business because that's what Ryan and I do pretty much all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then one back to basics question, just because you were saying compliance is not dead and obviously most of the accountants will be itching to find out then, build, partner or buy for MTD for it, sir? Are we ready? How was there a feeling about this? Because it's coming down the track? Yeah, it's coming down the track. There's all work in progress. We're going to be there for sure. Fingers crossed for Xericon announcements, I guess, on that one. You might hear, you might hear some more there. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm pretty oh. certain about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just the confidence there, John. Is this your uh, predictions again? We could make some wild <laughs> predictions right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just just wait for Steve just to <laughs> nod. <laughs> so I'm summarising this, Zero is the teenager in its development. You've learned things and you're constantly adapting, but there's more that Zero can do, there's more that the accountancy sector can do. And we all need to do more because industry needs us more, really. Thank you, Steve, for coming on and taking part in our hopefully really interesting podcast. Um, we usually ask, I guess, if anyone wants to reach out to you, how to get in contact. Is that through a PA? Is that directly? How's that? My email address is pretty easy to guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, do hear, I do hear on occasions from great partners. At the end of the day, accounts and bookkeepers are the lifeblood of zero. There's no question in my mind about that and always will be at the heart of zero. We really do appreciate that support. We know that our best partners and customers are ones who tell us straight, when you talk about new products and features, we are hearing the feedback we've got. We're absolutely investing in UK tax, our practice management offering as well. We've got that, we've heard that, and we're on it. And there'll be plenty to talk about in the future. Brilliant, well, thanks very much. If anyone wants to hear more, 
come to Zericon. Absolutely. Here you speak. Well, it's too late, though. You haven't got a ticket, so you're not coming in. <laughs> Steve, Steve, Steve will one of those big tickets. screens out the front. You know, oh, like Wimbledon. Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, like, like Wimbledon. Yeah. Just out here, actually. We can do, do it here. Oh, me and you catchy, by the end, won't it? Catch your name now for the Vamos viewpoint oh, yeah. or something. The Vamos viewpoint. There you go. There's one. Is this like Henman Hill? Is this Straight off the cuff. Like. <laughs> Yeah, you've been researching that for a while. He said that you should look at my Google history. You shouldn't look at John's Google no, history. No. Steve, do you know John well enough to know his Google history should scare you? All right. <laughs> I've just been told that these gentlemen are definitely... Gentlemen. Um... <laughs> Very polite. They Thanks, have Steve. personality. <laughs> I'll take that. Hey Ryan, one of the most frustrating things I find around payroll is the payments and making that seamless. What do you think about it? It's something that we feel should be a lot more slick than it currently is. And I think that prevents a lot of payroll bureaus from providing a service that a lot of clients demand. But one of our key sponsors, Comma, has just released something that I think might be interesting to a lot of county firms and payroll bureaus out there. It's a new functionality called Pay with Comma, and if you are a KeyPay user, and they've firstly partnered with KeyPay to do the initial release. Inside KeyPay, there is a Pay with Comma button. And in essence, when you push that, it drags all net pay information on the employees for their pay run, the HMRC liability, all bank account details into the Pay with Comma platform, enabling a single click for authorization through the open banking payment rails to make it a slick process and secure process for paying your employees and the HMRC liability. If you want to learn more, please contact comma at www.usecomma.com. So, who's got something on App News this week? I'll kick this one off, Indy. There's been discussion in Accountancy Age on the global talent shortage, something that John and I are experiencing quite readily at the moment, the difficulty of finding Anyone in the accounting space for the number of roles that are out there is a massive challenge. In the article, there's nothing that really went into detail about how we solve this, just the amount of firms pretty much not only in the UK, but globally that are struggling to recruit. And I wanted to put it out there that this seems to be huge, not only in the tech space, but in accountancy space as a whole. I think it comes down to what sort of education or how compelling it proposition it is to then go and say, oh, I'll do accounting and finance. And that is actually in keeping with the sorts of systems that we're working with today. Most of the programs don't even have some of the modern softwares that we're talking about. So if you make it look uninteresting, then of course people aren't going to choose to go and then spend thousands of pounds and take on a lot of debt to go and study it. But actually, if they knew that the new age accountant is about stitching that data together and being able to make insightful decisions about a business's future, maybe there would be more people who would say, oh, OK, I want to be an accountant. I was a little bit worried when Ryan referred to me and talked about a shortage of talent. That was a personal jive. It's all good. But then um, we all saw your picture this morning. So thanks for that. <laughs> Spanish beefcake yeah. alert. He, he can jump straight into another profession. He doesn't need this. <laughs> Stripper. Magic Mike. It's interesting that we're talking about this global talent shortage in the accountancy tech space. That's been a thing forever. It's nothing new. It's just that... It's hit the news again. We're starting to feel a pinch. There's a lot of work trickling down from the bigger firms, which is trickling down to our mid-sized firms, which means that we're also then pushing work out the other side. It's going down to the sort of smaller firms. There is a talent shortage. There is a staff shortage, really difficult to recruit. But this isn't anything new. We've had this forever. The attractiveness of our industry 
is still the same. The challenges of dealing with small and medium-sized businesses in particular are still the same. And actually, I think what we need to be is we need to be better at articulating that to potential employees to talk about the fundamental change that you can make to businesses and the challenges that go with it. It's not just all boring accountancy, compliance, audit, that kind of stuff. There are really interesting conversations that you have. Let's just take a step back. When you go to the careers fairs, I don't remember ever recalling seeing that anyone would turn around and even look at that program as accounting and finance and describe the people in that way or describe the program teaching. And that's what I'm saying is that's a challenge for our industry is to articulate the benefits of being an accountant better. I've been to careers fairs at schools and colleges where you've got the stand and you can just see all the kids kind of looking at it going accountants, no no fucking way. It's like having those, you know when you get magnets that sort of bounce off each other, you can just see it's like a force field around the desk because they're like, no, I'm not going near them. We've never been the most approachable people as well, so probably at careers fairs. We're never going to be the loudest and the most entertaining as people come up to but that's all I've got a different viewpoint in this John because I think the whole point of the accounting profession and what was appealing is that it was stable and it was generally well paid but I think what's coming across now is actually it's overworked and quite tedious at times and that's not what we experience but that seems to be the impression that we give out as a, an industry and it's changing that culture. I'd say there is an element of overwork and I think people have to put in a lot of time and effort into work. And you... What time did you finish work last night? Uh, really late. And the night before? Uh, quite late. I'm not being an accountant. <laughs> you this also contributes to this, this issue that we were talking about is that there is work trickling down from the bigger firms whilst the resources are probably going the other way. It's going up to the bigger firms and so it's putting pressure on. And so that contributes to the problem and it exacerbates the problem. This isn't going to be fixed overnight it's not going to be fixed by a new training course it's not going to be fixed by you know new ways of going out there to recruit or talk about the industry it's going to take a whole industry shift for people to talk differently about the things that accountants can do for firms to talk more differently about the things that accountants to do firms are having to plan three to four years in advance of where they are now to make sure that works and that's that's a big leap to take isn't it i feel like we've just asked you to solve the talent crisis john Solved. Problem solved. Anyway, moving on. Sage and the A announced a partnership oh, fairly recently, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, to help try and get graduates digitally ready and create what they want to call a digital first accountant. And effectively, what they were talking about is they're going to start using Sage's cloud financial skills qualification, which is supported by the ACCA to get out in front of about 30,000 graduates and give them some experience of using Sage's products and also to then help them upskill and get used to it. Now, this is really interesting. This is not new. We've seen this from Inflow, and they do that with the ICAW qualification on the audit side. We've also seen that Zero have done this with AAT in the past as well. So we know that AAT trainees will go through and use Zero as part of their training and development. What I'm slightly concerned about is that if you're using something like Sage Business Cloud, for example, or using maybe Sage Intact, if you're getting to see visibility of that, are you giving these students? Uh, a bookkeeping training qualification effectively in terms of how to do debits and credits on this software. If that's the case, that's useless and that's teaching people the skills that they needed 10, 15 years ago. Or are you going to give them the digital skills to talk about how do you take a product like Sage Business Cloud Accounting or Sage Intact and enhance it with apps and add-ons? How do you take that and go into a business and talk to them about systems and processes and how to move those forward and make them more efficient? If those are the skills that they're focusing in on, that is absolutely what is needed in the industry. If it's anything else, it's a waste of time. Anyone getting some introduction to cloud technology compared to the T accounts is a start. But if you want an introduction to cloud technology, just get a Gmail account. 
You're very, yeah, very cynical. The point is that in most of these programmes, are they just, again, another opportunity to announce something in the media? Or are they going to do something tangible and effective? And if they are, why stop just at Sage? Why not continue to do it with all the other softwares? Why not make it a meaningful programme that would then address the talent shortage as well? Unless you're going to be recruited by a small practice who might be single solution only, you need to be agnostic in your approach. The skills of using a cloud technology product 10 years ago, talking about bank feeds and maybe a little bit of OCR, that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant now. That is just standard in our it's, business practices. It is standard, but don't we want them to understand what's standard? We're setting them off on a baby step. It's like teaching someone to crawl when actually we want them to walk or to run. What we want is them to come through the door going, right, I'm all over these products. Let's go. I can do systems advisory from day one. I can talk to businesses about how to improve things. Not, I know I just got an invoice in to put it into the account software. That, I don't fucking care. <laughs> just a waste of time. Okay, let's move on from that statement. There was a poll that was run by Plenty of Fish and 23% of the 2,000 people surveyed said their accountants are the best kissers. So my idea is I'm going to set up a little kiss-a-thon booth, pound a kiss for both Brian and John and let's get some votes in and see. I mean, that would be fine, but if you're going to do this scientifically because you're not an accountant, you'd have I'm to not. be on the booth as well. No, no, so no. So actually it should, it, be, it should be one of oh. us and you... Yeah, yeah. see, I'm pretty sure... £10 a kiss for me. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Buy one, get one free. This is some bad accounting pricing again. <laughs> We're definitely undervalued. <laughs> yeah, we are undervalued. I'm sorry. Especially, wow. supposedly, we are the better ones here. Apparently, engineers are kind of the next in line. And then in the bottom, is like bankers and some of the, you know... You like... Be careful with that. <laughs> well, so what we're saying is bring your chapstick to, uh, to, to all the top. shows. In unexpected news, France have announced the whole country, can you believe that? They're going to be launching e invoicing from July 2024, and it's going to be mandatory for all businesses over there. We caught this courtesy of Avalaro, which, for anyone who doesn't know, help businesses do cross border taxation, VAT, etc. But I find this really fascinating. We've talked at length about how the cloud accounting markets are moving here in the UK, and in comparison to Europe, and we've said Northern Europe in particular has got a pretty strong cloud accounting space but that when you get to mainland and southern europe it's kind of all over the place and sage 50 is still the dominant player in france although i could be wrong with that so i find this fascinating that we're moving to mandatory e-invoicing in two years time and there's no real cloud accounting market there well this could very much be like making tax digital in the fact that they make a statement and then it's delayed repeatedly france is highly regulated as a space and there are lots of rules that are coming out for businesses to operate cross-border even in France so I think they have shot themselves in the foot because a lot of European fintechs are thinking god don't want to try and take that on because there's a lot of regulation within that space and it's quite difficult to break into so I wonder if this is something that is opening up the doors a little bit to then say okay we want to encourage that innovation to come back into the country. I think it's a good step. We've seen it happen over in Australia. We've got it in the UK with the NHS. Anyone that's working with them has to use e-invoicing. I see it as something that will become mandatory in the UK at some point. I don't think it's a negative that one of our closest training partners is going to have e-invoicing as well. It's coming into Italy as well. Italy announced a while ago now that they were going to bring in e-invoicing. So it's, it's, it seems to be trickling into the European market. I just find it amazing. And Didn't you find it weird that Germany said literally the other 
the other direction, they were like, oh, well, we still want wet signatures on yeah. contracts. No e-signing. That's bonkers. Aren't they but... getting rid of electricity, though, and just going around to burning sticks? <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe what we'll find is in the coming weeks, there'll be some sort of stand invoice template printer and they'll be going on strike and they'll be slowing down the auto routes in France over the Facts. next few weeks and you know, whilst we're all on holiday and stuff. And we don't believe in stereotypes at all, do Not we? <laughs> Crack out those gilets jaunes. <laughs> Alright, let's move on. So, I guess slightly linked to this, Making Tax Digital it's uh, and the government has finally made an announcement, or HMRC have finally made an announcement, that anyone below the £85,000 threshold does not need to send in all of the details you'd normally expect on a tax return. You only have to send in Two lines, effectively. You're reporting three, but you only need income and expenses, and then the other one falls out the bottom end. So you're reporting two lines. So some. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm hoping... (laughs) Even you and I could do that. I'm hoping the software can cope with that, that we don't have to submit the third. They've announced that that's only needed for quarterly, but they've also stated that in the end-of-year statement, you only need to do the two lines. So you're reducing the the burden of what you're sending across to HMRC for anyone that's below the £85,000 VAT threshold. Great news. Hmm. And there was another little article that came out from Free Agent as well that spoke about the penalty system for MTD for VAT. So any VAT registered business that fails to follow the MTD for VAT rules has been subject to penalties. And some of the penalties listed were up to £400 for every VAT return not submitted through functional compatible software, between 5 and £15 per day for not keeping the required records digitally in the software, and up to 100% of the VAT you owe as a result of making a mistake by failing to use the check checking functions in the software. So in that scenario, you would also need to pay the VAT you owe. And there's going to be an additional penalty system that's introduced from the 1st of January next year. So here's a question, right? If you're having to pay the tax, if you make a mistake for not using any checking systems, I'm not aware of that many inbuilt checking systems. Sage has one. QuickBooks. QuickBooks has one. Zero doesn't. They bounce it out into what was the old Xavier product or a few of the other checking software. Not does mandatory. That... I think it's yeah. only if it's in the software you use, which but actually does, creating risk. That, well, it either creates risk or it's creating a double standard, isn't it? Because you, you're effectively, if you're using one software over another, which either does or doesn't have these checking systems in there you're potentially more and more exposed i found it more interesting that the five to fifteen pound per day penalty is for not keeping digital records which in essence means you have to be compliant with digital links so many businesses that aren't compliant with digital links terrible and the maximum penalty then i guess assuming that 15 pounds a day over the course is just about five and a half thousand pounds certain big businesses are just like We'll just pay it. We'll just pay five and a half thousand pounds. Don't worry about digital links. It's, it'll be more expensive to try and get the software upgraded than, than, than to pay that. If that's the maximum penalty, that's really not going to encourage these bigger businesses to become more compliant. I've got something a little bit different. There's been some changes in the mid-tier ERPs regarding how they've been growing. You've got Dynamics, which has been the largest grower over the last year. It's grown from a 5% market share to a 7% market share. That's Microsoft Dynamics. Oracle has grown from a 2% to a 4%. SAP has grown up by 1% and Accounts IQ have grown up by 1%. But Sage has gained by 2% in the small business space. And the biggest growth has been in their mid-tier space, which I find quite interesting, Mm. especially as you've got a lot of the legacy software in that mid-tier space being Sage 200. The growth in that era would be, what, Sage Intact? Yeah, absolutely. So it's showing that the potential of that huge product they bought and just 
bring out to the UK. I did actually comment on this because this occurring web article that went out. That's a good point. I went to mention that. I saw your name in that. <laughs> it did ask my opinion of, what, of whatever that's worth. D definitely on the intact side, that's actually driving the vast majority of Sage's SaaS growth. When you look at their numbers that they published, their interim stats a few weeks ago. That was the massive one by far driving their big growth. X3 was just behind it. And then this transition to Sage Business Cloud is still going slow. We have ZeroCon coming up fairly soon and a whole host of partners have been announced. So the usual big names that you kind of expect, Plio, Gokart, the Stripe, Comma are also in there, and then Dext, Expensify, Ignition, iWalker, etc. Apparently some business called Arex Markets. Yeah, Never heard of them, to be honest. But they're also in there as well. It's going to be good. The news was that there's going to be about 50 app partners exhibiting at ZeroCon. So maybe feels a little bit smaller than, than previous years, but we'll, we'll it's find It's more out, exclusive sure. this year, isn't it? Oh, oh exclusive. It's been a good spin on it. Pay mm -hmm. premium prices to get a stand. Premium prices to get a ticket by the sound of it. Well done, Ryan, for winning one. Thank you very much. I put so much effort into that. I did not remember entering it in the first place. Was <laughs> this done at the bar somewhere at an event? Possibly. <laughs> yeah, well, shout out to GI then. For... Yeah, yeah, GI Outsourcing. Thank you very much, GI and uh, James Marshall, for giving me a call and saying I'd won something. Turned out very nice. I don't know what to expect. Well, big party. Big party, yeah. yeah. Lots of people hung over. What's the dress the code? Chilled uh, out. Bikini. Somewhere in between bikini and chilled out. If the weather's like Thank it you. is at the moment, everyone's going to be in bikinis, even Ryan and I. Well, yeah, I'll get that out. <laughs> Mankini. Let's pivot away from ZeroCon and dress codes and into the app update. So Zero have released a few small things. They've released bank statement extraction in HubDoc, but only in the US and Canada. I guess assuming that we don't need it in the UK anymore because bank feeds are everywhere with open banking. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. There's still some banks that we need it over here that don't have proper bank feeds mm. or reliable bank feeds through Zero. That would have been a viable alternative. But they've also released some more functionality in HubDocs, the auto addition of contacts, which admittedly I thought was already in there, and then the ability to update planned payment dates via Zero Analytics. So two areas that needed some work, which is HubDoc and Zero Analytics. And then finally, the ability to link contacts between HQ and XPM is also been released or being worked on. It said it'd been released and then I saw an article saying it was being worked on, so I'm not entirely certain. Mm. But I know they're doing some work on XPM at the moment. So it's much needed. Big announcement expected at Zero Con about that. Urgent action is required for those who use Sage 50 accounts and versions 26.2 and below. Sage have announced that they are making some essential security updates, which means that they are going to turn off some functionality. It will impact older versions of Sage 50 accounts and Sage 50 cloud accounts. And that means they're turning off a connection and Microsoft are no longer supporting some part of the functionality, which means that... It will not work anymore. It yeah. will not work anymore. However, they're not giving that much notice. And actually, they're saying that to avoid any disruption, these updates are due to take place on the 30th of September. So not that long, actually. Don't they normally give a bit more notice than that? Yep. Yeah, we've had clients calling out panicking a bit. It's been an interesting one, this, because the announcement from Microsoft was came quite a long time ago. And they're effectively removing TLS, which is a way of securely transferring data. And so when you log into Sage, what it does is it pings the servers at, at Sage and goes, yep, yeah, there you go, you, you've 
you've still got a license up to date and and then it comes back you could change the technology so you could have perpetual licensing so every time you connect to the internet it would be there but they've chosen not to do that and so there's been quite a lot of uproar about this because obviously as you can imagine sage sales have been hitting the phones and saying oh well the best way to fix this is just to upgrade whether you stick on sage 50 cloud or whether you go to sage business cloud accounting quite a few accountants are a bit miffed about that because they're their clients, not Sage's, and they don't like to share. That's just the way it is. You know, this is a problem that's a little bit outside of Sage's control as well, because this is a Microsoft system that's been deprecated. Having said that, though, I think there has been a few legal shenanigans going on in the background about this. But we'll just have to see what happens. Great opportunity for people like Ryan and I, because you can take the opportunity to review systems and processes and maybe shift them to a new piece of software. As businesses should. Personally, you know, I might be cynical, but I think Sage used this as a way to force the older clients that had bought the software rather than were properly renting the software to upgrade. Let's move on. So Coconut have announced that they are supporting CIS reporting on income. So for anyone that doesn't know, Coconut, like the neo bank that is sort of pivoted away, now doing direct bank feeds and pulling data in, have started to offer this. It sounds like they're doing this on a transaction by transaction basis, so you're going to have to adjust those transactions manually. There doesn't seem to be any sort of way of automating that to begin with. Hopefully that's still to come, but it's an interesting move in development as they're trying to target this smaller end of the market and the smaller space yeah definitely needed for those ones that want to go down the mtd it's a route because there's so many affected that are in the construction sector sift unsurprisingly have released more updates Woo! sift is probably the product i see the most update releases on they're constantly developing which is a great thing this time they've announced an excel connector so easily going back and forth inside the program Updates to the dashboards with prior period data. Instead, it was just live data now that you can compare periods. Audit tracking for any anomalies. So, for example, if you are making adjustments or tweaking things, you'd be able to now see who's done that inside the system. I think that's building up for the larger firms. So you've got bigger teams, you can find out what's going on. And then dormant accounts, these bits tidy up. What's been indexed precision for quite a while, they now brought that into SIFT. And then sales product tracking, which actually is probably the most powerful bit, I would say, if you can track what's been going on with the products. That's something that a lot of these tools don't do. Teamworks has released some chat-style communication in the application with clients, and it includes a little bit of a document exchange. So I know that Ben, our friend Ben at Timworks, sent a little video, which we can include in the podcast description. Brian, you had a look at that. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was really good. They've basically developed the app. You've got a mobile app now that you're clients or customers will interact with it used to be pretty much just dashboard based so you have to log into the web browser to do it the app now makes it a much more dynamic experience in the way that i guess you would normally want to communicate with those smaller end clients a chat style function it looks really powerful look really slick i've got something just a small one which was pay captain have now integrated into pension sync now the reason i thought this was interesting because i've not come across pay captain before which was released in 2020 and is a budgeting tool it's a, a financial wellness solution that works with payroll so your employees would basically be able to budget for their finances but it's the premium products a payroll tool i thought that was actually a really good link between two different areas of software that have generally been quite segregated now they've brought that ability to where you receive your money your your portal for where you get your pay slips is actually now how do i use that money how do i budget that i think that's quite an effective blend I saw, hey, Ryan, hey, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. There was a little piece that I saw covered around score and how you could drive better ROI through looking at the processes and how you could reallocate some of the ROI through system changes. Do you want to tell me more about your article? Do you just like saying drive the ROI? <laughs> drive like ROI. ROI. <laughs> Definitely like a Tesla. <laughs> it's about the effectiveness of using system mapping to 
not only show what can be done, but understand the cost of doing any process in your business compared to the cost of what you could be doing and then how quickly it would take to get that return on investment by making that change compared to the implementation cost. So it's something we do at SP Digital, which is mapping out all those processes for businesses. And we actually find that return on investment by doing an effective change in software is between six and 12 months, much quicker than if you're manufacturing businesses that go and buy machines. What businesses should not be doing this? You can get a return on investment in within six and 12 months. So big shout out to SCORE. We'd not be able to do this without the score system. Capsule have released something. They have expanded into project management functionality. So Capsule is a CRM tool. I think it's quite interesting they're trying to move into project management. You've got project management tools such as Scoro that have moved into the CRM side and now you've got the CRM tools moving towards project management, which I thought was quite an interesting take. So friend of the podcast, or certainly friend of mine anyway, Alona at Iris, uh, CEO there, she had put out on LinkedIn one of those really generic marketing videos that tells you nothing about what's actually going on with the product. But it was talking about all about Iris Elements, which is a new feature suite that Iris have been working on. Uh, fully cloud, it's got an open API. So those are two big ticks for a lot of people in our space. And effectively what they've actually created within there is six brand new products effectively. So we've got proposals, which they have built from the ground up. So really interesting when you've got products like Ignition, obviously Sage, Buy and Go proposal, they're reacting to that space at the moment. They've got an AML product, which isn't actually new. It's probably been around for at least six months, if not a little bit longer, but possibly, and I will hold this comment in reservation for the time being, but possibly the best AML product on the market for accountants. They've also got accounts production predominantly aimed at smaller practices at the moment. So it does 105, 102.1a, but nothing for the big boys yet. Tax, practice management, so that's an aggregation of various products, including trying to drag centre into the mix there, which they acquired fairly recently. And then something which and we had to question Lona on because she referred to it as FPR, which meant nothing to me. And then she'd said, oh, well, John, it means financial performance review, which course, still, John. it still means completely nothing to me. But effectively, if anyone uses Silverfin and uses their insights platform where it's aggregating data from lots of different businesses and showing you things that you can benchmark or showing you trends within the data, that's effectively what FPR in Iris Elements is. That's probably the most powerful tool of it then, but utilising the platform they've got there. Fascinating, yeah. Yeah. But if only they could give it a really good name and not have some marketing bullshit around the outside, it'd be so much easier for us accountants to understand. Just stating what was included in the release would have been helpful. Yeah. And I've got something, Quotient has released scheduled emails for quotes. So if no one's used Quotient before, it's a brilliant Quotient tool, one of the best out there. The ability to now actually create something and then send it out when you want it to send out that you think will have the biggest impact and you'll get the people reading it at the right time. And therefore, hopefully, you having a higher success rate and winning that work, I think was quite interesting. Right, so on the raises, Hammock, who are a UK property tech firm, has raised $5.5 million in funding to scale up their efforts and speed up the product roadmap and capitalise on those 2 million landlords that are going to be eligible in the next round of MTD for it. So I know that you mentioned them on a previous pod. Yeah, I I recently uh, watched the live demo of Hammock and it's a very, very good program. Very powerful. Mm. I think they've got a lot of potential. I think this race will go a long way. It's a very impressive product, I think, and probably one of the most interesting to come in for the MTD at the space. Come on then, tell us, if you work with landlords, then why should you use it? Because it's simple to use. It's, it's beautifully designed. It looks really nice. It's really easy to use. Pulling in bank feed data and things to aggregate all of that information. And they just do it and present it in a really nice, neat, functional way. And it's been designed specifically for the market. So it's not trying to be a broad brush MTD. It's a solution for the self-employed. It's really trying to nail that bit of the market. And what about the accountant offering? It's a partner program. It seems pretty solid. 
discounts as you would expect. Let's finish this. The one last thing I wanted to say there was the accounting excellence finalists have been announced and you've got a lot of great people out there. But I just want to do a shout out to some of the people that we know, which is Emily Deacon, Rachel Martin, Samantha Mitchum, Cheryl Sharp at Pink Peak Financials, Stuart Hurst at Council Legal, on the pod. Yeah. Pamela Phillips at De Jong Phillips, Nigel Adams at Advalorum, Alex Falcon. The Falcon is in there. And and all the team at Capitalised Clarity, Fathom, Join, Reducer, Airper, Dex, Cresco, Iplicit, Sage, Consolidator and Carbon. If there's a free ticket going back in, I'm sure that you can invite us along, but... We're we're not desperate, but we'll take it. We'll take it. John, one of our sponsors has a new partner program, which is Libio. So, mate, what do you think about Libio? I really love Libio. One of the most exciting and newer apps that's coming into the restaurant, food and beverage trade sectors, delivering an end-to-end accounts payable process. The ability to do what we're all probably familiar with, which is dropping in your invoices, getting all of that data extracted through OCR, all the way through to approvals in the app and then payments and a one-click payment process, they promise, out the other side. So really making that whole process streamlined and effective and efficient for what are generally trades that generate a huge volume of invoices and payments that are quite difficult to manage. Definitely. And I think the way they approach that whole payment area is really interesting and unique. If you want to learn a bit more about Libio, please go to their website at www.libeo.io. Thanks for tuning in. If there's any feedback, then please drop us a note. We hope you've enjoyed the episode today. We've consolidated a little bit with the app news and the interview with Steve Vamos. We know that in the past we've split them apart, but hopefully you found this a little bit more insightful and tune into the next one. Thank you.